Hey, this is Robert Mason, the Ringer NFL Show. Even though the Super Bowl is over, free agency, the combine, and the draft are all right around the corner, and the Ringer NFL Show will have you covered, bringing everything you need to know. You can subscribe to the Ringer NFL Show at iTunes.com slash The Ringer or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com, Kevin O'Connor. Kevin! Chris, what's going on, man? So, I understand you are still in New Orleans, Louisiana uh, from the aftermath of All-Star Weekend. Before we get into the stories of the day, how was uh, how was this All-Star experience for you? Or I guess it's still going on. It was cool. Uh, the events themselves, uh, I mean, as everybody saw watching in TV or, or at the event itself, they weren't great. I mean, the All-Star game was kind of lame and Saturday night wasn't good, but it was fun. New Orleans is a really amazing city. It was my first time here, so it's cool. Any parties? Um, on Friday night, I met Wynn Butler, lead singer from Arcade Fire. He was awesome. Um, so that was at uh, Hannibal Burris comedy show, so that was cool. There you go. So you went to Hannibal Burris' comedy show and you met Wim Butler. Who else famous? Did you meet anybody else famous while you were around there? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure just Wim Butler. At least in my eyes, he was the most famous person because I, I love Arcade Fire. <laughs> womp, womp. Oh, listen, shout out to Arcade Fire, but come on, man. You were in New Orleans for the entire weekend and the only famous person you met was Wim Butler? Yeah, like I didn't, I didn't meet Beyonce or Jay Z or anything like that. They were in, they were in the room, so you could say, you know, I was in their presence, but I didn't, I didn't meet them. How did you approach Win Butler? <laughs> uh, it was just like, yo, man, I love your jacket. It was a New Orleans jazz jacket, um, and yeah, it was cool. So you know, we talked a little bit about basketball, and and yeah, so hopefully, you can get him on a podcast someday. And then he said, "Scram, idiot." Basically, basically, get out of here, get out. All right, so New Orleans, Louisiana has been good to Kevin O'Connor. All right, last thing, because, I mean, obviously we had all these events going on and everything. Um, Food, that's what New Orleans is uh, certainly well known for. You had to at least get po' boys and stuff, right? Yeah, man, I probably gained like 18 pounds just from a couple days I've been here. Like all the po' boys, the seafood. I went to this place called Oshina. The seafood there is unbelievable. And the food's definitely lived up to the hype. Food is something else here, Chris. There you go. Then you did New Orleans right. All right, so the game is yeah. going on. You were at the actual All-Star game, correct? Yeah. Okay, so what is it like on the in media row when – in the middle of the game, Adrian Wojnarowski is tweeting out that the Boogie Cousins stuff is coming to a head, that they are talking to different teams. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like to be there. You are covering an event, an event that is, you know, it's not something you necessarily have to pay real attention to or that there's going to be some big story coming out of. And then in the middle of the game, this drops. What happens? Well, first of all, my first reaction was like, yo, Woj is dropping bombs during the All-Star game. And then I was like texting people trying to figure out what's going on. So like my initial reaction was just like a total fan. And then right after that, it was time to get to business. But me and Micah Peters, we were sitting next to each other for the game. And, and we were talking about how it just seemed outrageous that that Buddy Hill trade offer was actually going to be the best deal. I, I thought that it was probably leaking because it was like the first offer that got declined. I think that's something that happens sometimes, but it turned out to be the total opposite, but that's the one that they liked the most. And, you know, me and Micah were kind of just going back and forth. Like, how could this actually be the deal? Like what could be offered better from, you know, the Celtics or the Nuggets or the Suns, teams like that. And it was so easy to figure out deals that were better. But the fact of the hill of what happened was unbelievable. We were walking back to the hotel when the deal actually broke. Okay, so we we did a huge podcast on the boogie trade with Bill Simmons yesterday. So we covered that a lot in the actual trade and going through all the different teams, etc. Um, yesterday, after we had recorded that podcast, Vladi Divac has his press conference, and this is all 
this seems uh, like a very, very bad deal for Vladi, like all around. First, you had just a few weeks ago, he comes out. In fact, it was a, a little over two weeks time from now. I think it was two weeks from yesterday. He, uh, he, ESPN reported, quote, we are not trading DeMarcus Cousins. Then you have the beginning of All-Star Weekend where Cousins says, I want my jersey in the rafters. I want my legacy to be in Sacramento. So everybody was kind of on board with the, okay, Sacramento's made it rather clear they're not trading the guy. Cousins wants to re-sign there in the offseason. He explicitly said that uh, and wants to remain there. And then you get to the point yesterday where Vladi's talking about the deal, and he says... I mean, the headline was, I had better deals two days ago. So he presents this whole case, which I think everybody that can read between the lines walked away going, oh, God, he had the deal. And then it took a little while to convince his owner. And then by the time he convinced his owner, he didn't get as good a deal as he could have gotten two days ago. Is that how you read what he what, what he said yesterday? I mean, I, I'm surprised that he came out and actually explicitly said that. But I think I think the reason why he did is kind of because, in fact, like the report I had, that it's all the reason why they took that heel deal is because of the owner, the Vec. So he values Buddy Heald as like a Stephen Curry level type of potential guy. So he thinks he can be a superstar. Nobody else really views Heald that way except for Vivek. But Vivek's opinion is all that ultimately matters because he's the owner and he's the guy who approves the deal. So I think Vladi Divac, in a way, was saying, you know, putting out a message saying, you know, there were better deals, but we weren't able to do them. Whether that reason was because an agent nixed the deal or because the owner nixed the deal is a little unclear. But the fact is, is that there were better offers available. And that's what I reported last night on the ringer.com. And it's, I think that's reading between the lines exactly what he was saying as well. And, and it's, I know he should have taken more time to find a better deal. I think, I think he should have called more teams. I think he should have waited until Thursday. I think he's wrong about the fact that the Pelicans offer would have dropped, but I can understand why he felt some urgency to get a deal done. Well, and this is the, this is the most interesting thing about that that came out of yesterday's aftermath with the Cousins trade was this whole idea that it makes it a lot more understandable when you understand whether or not anybody in the free world agrees with it, and it and it seems like most don't. Vivek thinks that Buddy Heald is going to be a huge star, you know, and that may be a fool's errand. Like it may he may just be wrong. Um, but I have been, and you know, uh, we've talked about this on this podcast a hundred times. I have been on the side of you can't tell, you can't tell yet, right? I get the whole Buddy Heal hasn't really shown me that much yet or whatever, but my point would be you can't tell with these guys this early. Now, your your, your opinion on Buddy Heald is going to be informed by whatever your opinion was before he ever came in the league. That's kind of where I stand on it, right? I think whatever your opinion was of Buddy Heald in the draft, your opinion probably hasn't changed radically, so if you think he's going to be really, really good in the league, or you think he's going to be okay, or you think he's going to be a bust, I don't think that anything's happened pre-All-Star game outside of him going out and like maybe averaging 20 points a game, which nobody really does as a rookie generally. Um, I, I mean, I just, I, I, I don't think that, I, he, I, I am willing to, I don't think he knows basketball, but if he's right about that, there's going to be a, a lot of people that are that when we do the revisionist history on this are going to be wrong about the return they got. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, right. If, if he's right, it's going to be a franchise changing trade for them. And look, like before the draft, I was one of those people that was defending Buddy Hield, and I still do. I still will if it's the right argument because I think everybody talks about Buddy Hield's age. He's 23 years old. And it's like, yeah, 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 I get it. Younger guys usually develop better because the reason why is because better players leave college when they're younger. Buddy Heald wasn't ready when he was a freshman or a sophomore. It took him four years to develop. And it might take him four years to develop in the NBA, too. He, he might not hit his prime until he's 27. And, yeah, sure, that's not great for you because that means you have less 
prime years available for him. But the, just because he's older doesn't mean he won't develop. Every rookie needs time. And Buddy Hills was somebody who, took, who needed three years to become a second-round value pick in college. He took the fourth year to become a, a potential lottery pick, which he was. And it might take him that type of trajectory in the NBA as well. So, look, Curry, calling him the next Curry or thinking he's the next Curry is ridiculous. He doesn't. Have, he's not going to become that type of player, but it doesn't mean he can't become a good player. It's just they setting those expectations. I think works against Teald a little bit because if you're expecting him to be a franchise savior and that's how you're kind of viewing him, you're going to be let down. He can become a good player. It's just going to take time. But the thing is, is even if he becomes a good player, he's still always going to be the guy that they traded Cousins for because people are going to look for him to meet Boogie's level of play, and I don't think he'll be able to quite reach that. No, that is putting a ridiculous expectation on him. Steph Curry is a two-time NBA MVP. <laughs> I mean, that just it's wildly unfair. I, I, I will just say that the argument when, when people are saying, oh, they just got Buddy, like, I just don't, I, I don't think we know what Buddy Heald is going to be yet. Um, if people have very, very strong opinions about that, then so be it. But I look and I, I'm watching that All-Star game on Saturday, right? And I think about all these guys. And if I would have evaluated them on the first half of their rookie year, would I have thought almost any of these, would I have thought DeMar DeRozan was going to be a huge star? No. Would I have thought Giannis Antetokounmpo is? No. Would I have thought Jimmy Butler is? Maybe. No. <laughs> I, Isaiah Thomas, Kyle Lowry, uh, Kemba Walker. Like, I mean, there's just uh, Paul Millsap. There's a ton of guys that are on that. James Harden, for that matter. By the way, I went and looked up. At the trade deadline, uh, or rather the all-star break of his rookie year, James Harden, and admittedly he was younger than Buddy Heald, had the exact same numbers. Exact. 38% or 39% field goal, 38% from three, uh, almost 10 points a game, playing 23 minutes. That's almost identical to what Buddy's putting up. And so again, I'm not I'm not saying Buddy Yield's gonna be James Harden. Don't you know, don't get don't get me wrong here. What I'm presenting is sometimes when you do those stat lines, it's Jimmer for debt, and sometimes it's James Harden. And you can't judge off the first, you know, pre-trade debt or pre-All-Star break of a guy's rookie season to determine what he's eventually going to be. And the thing with heels is, what, like, so it, let's let's take Vivek seriously. And this is kind of what I talked about on the Ringer.com. Let's take him seriously. What does heel need to improve at to become a guy like Stephen Curry? He's got the jumper. Heels is a great shooter, right? But he needs to have an outlier type of development as a ball handler and an at-room finisher. Stephen Curry entered, entered the NBA as not a great at-room finisher, but he was very creative at, at a younger age, whereas Buddy Heels, he's kind of clunky near the rim. He's, he has basic finishes, but he doesn't finish with touch or spins off the glass or creativity. So that's what he needs to improve at first. Second, he needs to improve as a ball handler. He has basic moves, and he improved a lot as a college senior, but he was kind of predictable. So he needs to become a guy that can break down a defender like Curry can. That's how Curry gets his shots off. Heald doesn't do that. Heald right now at this stage is more of a basic one or two dribble pull-up guy at the best, or he's just a spot-up guy. So we, for, for Heald to become Curry, it's not just the jumper, like Vivek might think. It's improving as a ball handler and as a finisher. Those are the areas where he needs to make this drastic level of improvement that is really unpredictable. Could he improve? Yeah. But Curry is elite in those categories, not just good. It probably would have been safer and again, it's insane, okay, because these guys are the best players in the league. It might have been safer to do the clay comp because clay, that's how he gets it. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, he shoots. That's what he does. Clay Thompson doesn't, you know, break your ankles and then go to the basket and go up and under like, like Curry does. I mean, Curry's up there with Kyrie in terms of the best ball handlers in the league. But nobody's going to mistake, exactly. uh, you know, for Clay Thompson for some ball uh, handling wizard, and so that might have been a better comp. Like if I'm trying to say, hey, I think this guy's going to be amazing, because otherwise you're, I don't know. Like I actually think that your your point when I was reading your article today about him being a guy that is, um, like mechanical, right? Like it, it looks like he thinks it through. It's, yeah, it, you know, and I know he. 
it's Jody Meeks-esque, right? And if you just traded, mm. if the biggest piece you got back for DeMarcus Cousins is Jody Meeks, then you just got crapped on. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was getting compared to J.J. Redick a lot before the draft, which people were using as a negative, which I never understood. It's like J.J. Right. Redick is a great player. He's a yep. great defender, and it's one of the best shooters I've ever seen. Like, if Buddy Hill were to turn into J.J. Redick, that would be great for the Kings. But will he do that either? I don't know, because J.J. Redick turns, turned from a bad defender into a great defender, and Buddy Hield right now is a very, very bad defender. Here's the other part about yesterday, and this was the unintended consequence, which I'm sure that they knew might come up. But that deal, it shine, it it it, it was by most by I think by most judgments uh, a bad deal, right? They don't think most people do mm-hmm. not believe they got enough and are joking about it um, to the point where even NBA players like Isaiah Thomas are tweeting out, "You can't even do that on 2K." So the general consensus. <laughs> The general consensus is they got a bad deal out of this. The unintended consequence was it's shown the light on everything else they've done. So what happens when you trade a DeMarcus Cousins is people go back and they go, here's all the coaches they've had. Here's all the GMs they've had. Here's all the crappy draft picks that they've had. They're they're horrible in the draft, right? And And here's the guys they've drafted since they've had Cousins. And then most importantly, here's the Philly deal. And it's like it brings that up all over again. And that one is just, I mean, <laughs> that, Kevin, that is, like the, that, that is seriously the worst deal ever. Because at least, like, we used to, you know, really um, goof on the Brooklyn one, right? Like, Brooklyn like hasn't had a first-round mm-hmm. pick in eternity. But at least they were going for the title, right? Like, they got Paul Pierce and they got Kevin Garnett. And they had this team of Joe Johnson, Darren Williams, and they had just gotten the new arena and the new team, and they were going to take a shot at the title. And it might have been, you know, folly to think they could get there, but at least, like, there was something they got out. I mean, when when you look back at that deal, and it was like Bellinelli, Rondo, and Kufus, and it's like, holy crap, like, that that is... It's so it's so bad. It's almost like you don't want to trade cousins just so people don't bring up all the other crap that you've done wrong. Right? <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the other thing from the Cousins aftermath. These are the fourth and fifth leading scorers in the league for the Pelicans. Um, Davis and Cousins. Davis is averaging 27.7 points per game. Cousins is averaging 27.8. Whose numbers, or do both, who's the leading scorer for the Pelicans for the last 25 games of the season? Who do you think? He's still, you know, the guy there, and he's still integrated into the system. Does either one of their numbers go up, or do both of their numbers go down? Or do both of their numbers oh. go up? That would be friggin' crazy if, they, if both their numbers went up. I think, I think maybe Davis, maybe they, maybe they both experience slight dips, but perhaps the guy who experiences the dip the most could be like Drew Holiday. Maybe he takes on like more of a spotter pull a little bit when um if Davis and Cousins have the ball in their hands more. So maybe 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 Drew Holiday. But I think it'll be a little bit of everybody. Does uh, it work? Uh, you know, I think I think it's gonna be effective, but you know, I don't think they're necessarily like a guarantee to get that eight seed. I still think the Nuggets are, are a good solid team and I think, you know, the the Blazers, even even though they, their defense is terrible, they still have a great backcourt. Look, I think I think Davis and Cousins, if Alvin Gentry uses him in, in a creative way like he can, it can be really hard for stop. This is what I talked about with Micah the other night. It's like so if you run a four or five pick and roll with Davis or Cousins handling the ball, and like let's say let's say Cousins is the ball handler and Davis is the roller. Davis is one of the best lob guys in the NBA, and Cousins is capable of pulling up and shooting threes, or he can drive hard to the rim to draw fouls. That's a hard thing to stop for a defense. Like the, we we have the Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan pick and roll in the NBA, but but J- Jordan can't pop. Davis can pop and shoot. So that's a n- new wrinkle in that type of offense, and I would love to see them use that. I, I would love to see how defenses kind of react to that. Do they switch? If you switch, maybe that puts you in a less advantageous position. Um, do you just defend it straight? 
do you drop? I don't, I don't know. That, that will be interesting to see. I, I just think, you know, while other teams are going small, it's going to be really interesting to see what this team does when they're going big. I know there's other big combinations out there like Zach Randolph and, and Marcus Stoll, but these guys are on another level. And it'll be really fascinating to see how defenses play against them and how the Pelicans try to attack those smaller lineups and if they can do it effectively because we can't forget about the defensive end of the floor. And, and Davis is a great defender, but Cousins, I'm not sure he's quite as good defending the perimeter. So that'll be very interesting to see how that happens. Well, let me say this. The teams that have, or there are some teams that have given the Warriors problems and you know, outside of obviously having LeBron James and Kyrie Irving on your team. But I'm talking about like when the Grizzlies took a Golden State to six games uh, and when you saw last year Oklahoma City blow it against them. Like that is the forgotten series, the Oklahoma City series. There were moments throughout that series where when when Oklahoma City would miss, they would get the ball back. And when Golden State would miss, they would get the ball. And so you do put Golden State, you can put them in a position where you can really pound them down low. That is not their strength. And you've just got to hope that they're not hitting shots at their crazy rate. Um, But I don't think that it's bad to zag when everybody else is zinging because what we found, at least what I've watched this season, there's a lot of shitty versions of the Warriors. You can't copycat them because you don't have – you know, a, a center who's six five that can guard every center and every point guard in the league, and you don't have you know these literally transcendent shooters on the team. So I don't, I don't think it's a bad idea, and I think that you could, uh, whether it's Houston, whether it's Golden State, whether it's some of these teams that aren't exactly that play a lot of small ball, I could see that being a big problem if it works. Because there are going to be moments where you just get the ball every time. Hell, Oklahoma City did it when they, you know, they had Adams and Ibaka in there, and 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 Durant playing small forward, and they grabbed every rebound. So I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful. I think it could work for the Pelicans. The question is, does it make them the favorite to get the eight seed? Now, let's knock Sacramento out because they're going to fall back. Sac- uh, New Orleans is two and a half games out of the playoffs right now, and you've got to, and they're going to be competing with Denver. Uh, Denver, Portland, Dallas, and Minnesota. I'd say Pelicans are the favorite. I, I would give them that. Um, I, I still think the Nuggets are a good overall team, and I'm, I know they, there was rumors that they might trade Gallinari, but I still think that they're going to be really, really competitive for that season. And uh, look, I think I think it's hard sometimes to integrate guys midseason, especially like a star player like Boogie. So. There could be, you know, they could have some times where they struggle with chemistry, even if they have supreme talent on the floor. That That's unpredictable. Or it could work seamlessly. I mean, we, we really don't know. I, I just think it'll be maybe a little bit tighter than people think. I, I get the impression, you know, from just reading online, people think that the Pelicans are a shoo-in for the eight seed. I don't think that's the case. Denver, Denver has a really strong team overall. Um, strong as in, like, out of that group of teams, I mean. Well, and you also wonder what all these teams are going to do. Are they going to make the push? Um, are they going to go? Is Portland going to go and say, yo, we got to make the playoffs this year and go swing a deal? You know, they have been an active team um, rather regularly when it comes to time for teams to be active. Portland's usually in the mix. Denver, who knows? Uh, Dallas, Minnesota. I mean, what about this Minnesota thing that came up last night about Rose? The idea that they would trade for Derrick Rose. Um to the, from from the Knicks, would you? Uh, I mean, the guy. I guess Tibbs really loves him, right? Does that move? The, does that? I, move? I would like. I would like to trade for Derrick Rose if they don't re-sign Derrick Rose. Okay, here's the thing. How about this? How about this? Uh, then I would like it. Let's say they pulled off a Rubio deal, right? They pulled off a Rubio deal. Rubio for Rose. Yeah, like just something that includes both, right? Let's say they pulled that off. Right now, the Knicks are four games out of the eight seed. The T-Wolves are three and a half games out of the eight seed. Do you think either of them would improve significantly by making that deal? Who would you rather have? Um, I, 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 I would rather have Derrick Rose for the Wolves because I think, I think Tom Thibodeau would use him in a way that really maximizes what he has left. The Knicks offense is blah. Right, mm-hmm. and the, the Timberwolves kind of is too. But maybe what they need is that more dynamic scoring point guard like Derrick Rose. However, 
they would lose something on the defensive end of the floor because Rubio is, is a great defender at that position. So they, they, I think though what they would gain on the offensive end would outweigh the losses on the defense. So. How about this? I just put it in the trade machine, just the straight-up deal, and it actually takes, and it says uh, – the Knicks would be minus one win. The Timberwolves would be minus three. <laughs> so the projections would be that really? it would make both. <laughs> the projections are weirdly that it would make both of them worse. <laughs> That's interesting. Hmm. Oh. Rose isn't having a bad season. He's averaging almost 18 points a game and 46% from the field. Well, and his PER, you know. John Hollinger's trade analysis. There you go. Right? I see that now. Yeah. It would be interesting, though. I, I would love to see the reunion between Rose and Thibodeau. Yeah. Uh, the the, uh, the odd trade that makes both worse. <laughs> Rubio for Rose. Uh, who knows? But I thought that was interesting. That was the one that came out last night. Um, yesterday, when I was doing the podcast with Simmons, one of the things he mentioned, and you know he's usually plugged in and what his uh, beloved Celtics are doing, I kind of got the impression when I went back and listened back to it, I got the impression that Simmons thinks that there's a good chance that the Celtics could end up with Jimmy Butler. Um, which I, and we talked about Jay Crowder and the Brooklyn pick or whatever else. Um, you covered the Celtics for a long, long time. What do you think? You think Butler's the guy? If we're if we're going to try to project who's a big name that could move or. Is Ainge finally going to use these assets? You think it's Jimmy? I think. Look, if they're going, if the Celtics are going to get Butler, they, I think they probably need to include one of the Nets picks in the deal. And I think that would. I think if you're the Bulls, I would demand the 2017 because if I'm Chicago, I'm thinking to myself, if we're going to trade Butler at some point, whether it's now or in the summer, we need to maximize our return. And look, I think the Nets pick. 2017 Nets pick is something that the Celtics should at least consider giving. And from Chicago's perspective, the reason why I'd be willing to just posture and wait for that is because if you wait until the summer, there could be new teams that come out that are willing to offer more for Jimmy Butler. Because what could happen? Let's think about it. Come, you know, May, when when the lottery happens, who's going to win the lottery? Could be Minnesota. Then maybe Minnesota is able to offer the number one pick and Chris Dunn for Jimmy Butler. Suddenly, they might be the team that can offer the most for uh, Butler, not the Celtics, right? So if you wait just until the summer, you open yourself up to be able to get more offers from more teams. Right now, I think the Celtics are clearly the team that can offer the most. Like, I have no doubt about that, that they, they have the offer to beat if they were to make that the, the strongest offer that they can make. But if they wait, they might be able to get a little bit better than that. However... On the other side of this, if I'm the Celtics, I'm thinking to myself, look, you only have a 25% chance at getting the number one pick. You only have a 64% chance of getting a top three pick. So there's a chance, though, that you lose that pick and it drops to three or four. So even if you get that pick, even if you get the number one pick, what is Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball going to do for you at this stage of their career? Like, what are they really going to do for you? Whereas Jimmy Butler is a guaranteed star. No, he doesn't close the gap with Cleveland quite yet, but I think he gets you a whole lot closer. Um, So depending on the other pieces in that deal, it's kind of where I get hung up because last year what Chicago wanted was just way too much of a mixture of veterans. They wanted two established players and two draft picks. Sources told me it was something along the lines of Jay Crowder, the number three pick, which would have been Chris Dunn, another established player, whether it was Marcus Smart or Kelly Olenek is a little unclear, and then another pick, which I think probably would have been this year's Nets pick. So they wanted a lot last summer. And if they still want that mixture of players with picks, I think then you're asking for a little bit too much from the Celtics. But if it's just mostly fit, uh, focused on picks, like if it's the 2017 Nets pick and a future pick with a guy like maybe just Avery Bradley or, or then the filler contracts like Amir Johnson, then maybe we're talking. But if they want Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley in that deal, I don't think that there's any deal to be made at this stage. Okay, let me ask a stupid question, okay? With all of these guys, whether it is DeMarcus Cousins, you can say, why would they trade him? And everybody kind of knows the reason. A, they haven't won more than 33 games, and B, maybe A, he's a malcontent or whatever you want to say, right? Whatever the knocks on him are. Um, 
Why would they trade? Why would the Knicks trade Carmelo Anthony? Well, clearly Phil Jackson and him are at odds, and it's just not working. And so that would be the reason. Paul George, you know, his name comes up. Oh, well, it'd be because they don't think they can re-sign him. Whatever. The one thing that is never presented, it's just accepted all the time that Jimmy Butler's name is out there and is a guy, a big name that could be moved. I guess my question is, has anybody given or ever given a really good reason as to why the hell the Bulls would want to trade Jimmy Butler? <laughs> like with all the because other they guys. No future. They have no future. They're, they're, not gonna, they're not going to accomplish anything building around him. They, they don't have anything else. I, I just like two years ago with the, the Kings. You look at the Kings roster two years ago, and it was obvious they weren't going anywhere with what they had. And it was obvious at some point that they should trade him. It's just they waited too long, I think. And if I'm the Bulls, I'm looking at my situation. I'm thinking, we got to deal him at some point over the next year, whether it's up to next year's deadline or this summer. I don't think they have to trade him right now. Um, it's a little different than the King situation, but I think that time is coming pretty soon. I feel the same way about the Indiana Pacers for that matter. Everything Paul George has said indicates that he's definitely not a guarantee to resign there. He becomes a free agent a year sooner than Jimmy Butler. So that I think, you know, oftentimes, and this is kind of what my column is about tomorrow on the ringer is sometimes having the longest view in the room allows you to maximize a return on these star players. Nobody ever wants to trade a star. But there's a time where you wait too long and you don't get the maximum return, and there's a time where you deal them too early, which doesn't happen often. I think somewhere right in the middle is where we're kind of at with Jimmy Butler and Paul George. So I just don't think those teams have a chance to win a championship with the current construct they have. And I don't think they have enough assets or cap flexibility in order to bring more guys in or the appealing, the appealing team that would appeal to those stars. Not, not to mention that this year's free agent class isn't that good. So I well, just don't hold on. Let me just say, let me just say this. I would, I, I'm a, I'm in the camp of, all right, I'd probably try to uh, to build around him. And I know you say because the limit has been reach, uh, reached, but listen, with some of those other guys that you're talking about, um, when you're talking, about, like when we compare it to Cousins or whatever, like they haven't won dick. Like they have won with Jimmy Butler. It's not like they have been a crappy team over and over and over again. And so if I've got one of the best wings in the whole league and he's not, you know, long in the tooth. I, I don't know, man. I, I I don't know. I guess, I guess we can always just yeah. think that everybody needs to reboot, but I, I, I'm not persuaded that there is some kind of great reason to, to get rid of Jimmy Butler from the Bulls. It, well, they, why do they win? Because they're signing like these past their prime guys just to remain competitive. Paul Gasol. He's not, he's not a championship level player at this stage of his career. Rajon Rondo, Dwayne Wade, that's why they're a 500 team. But just because you're winning more games than like the Nuggets or the Sixers doesn't mean that you're closer to uh, being a contending team. I don't think, I don't think more wins equals closer to a title. I think, I think if anything, it can also mean that you're actually further away because by making these short sighted moves, you're hindering your chances of having more success down the line. And that's just kind of the way I feel about the Bulls situation. Same, same thing with the Pacers for that matter. I just don't see a path to a championship. And if that's the goal, if that's the goal, which it isn't for every team, that then they need to do something to shake it up, whether that's trading Butler or taking a step back and retaining Butler. They need to start thinking long-term, not signing Rajon Rondo, not signing Paul Gasol. They need to think long-term. Well, we must admit, though, this can go the wrong We must admit, this can go the wrong way, too, right? I mean, it can go. Yeah, it can. it can go because you could say, "Oh well, they're not." Let me let me take you back in time, okay? There was once a guy, and I happened to watch last night on NBA TV the sit-down interview between Kevin McHale and Kevin Garnett, Kevin Garnett, which is outstanding for anybody out there. If they rerun that thing on NBA TV, I would encourage you to check it out because the wall is down on Garnett, and he is. He's very frank, as he always is, for an hour. They they set him up with the perfect guy that he was willing to talk to in McHale. But let me take you back in time, right? That very well could have been the same discussion, the one that you just presented. We always think of the great scenario, right? We always think of the best-case scenario. 
you're not going anywhere now and you have this star and you can't build around him and you're not going to win a championship. So it's just better to go ahead and get a ton of assets. Well, let me ask you, once upon a time, they got a big haul in Minnesota, right? When they traded that particular guy in Kevin Garnett. And then they sucked for like 10 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes it doesn't work, Kev, right? Like it's it's cool to get young players and assets and draft picks and whatever else for your star. And maybe Minnesota never would have gotten, you know, to the NBA finals with Kevin Garnett as their best player. Um, but hitting the reset button on that, you know, turned them into a crap team for years and years and years. Same thing goes with moving Chris Paul once upon a time. You know, until now... New Orleans has been totally off the radar, and that includes even having one of the best five to ten players in the league in Anthony Davis. Um, Carmelo Anthony, Denver hasn't done shit since they moved him. I mean, it's just sometimes trading the star and then getting the assets, like it sounds great in theory, but you may end up sucking for, you know, the next five to ten years, and that is a tough deal. So I don't, I'd at least rather have a pretty good product sometimes. Or you could trade your star, you know, a little bit before it's too late and you could end up with Marcus Hull. You could trade Paul Gasol for an offer that looks like shit, but it actually ends up saving your franchise in a way. Or you can trade Darren Williams um, when things are just starting to go bad and not waiting until they sour completely and get, get a solid return for him, too. Um, I think I think there's arguments to be made both ways for sure. I think there's deals that we can cite in NBA history that that's been in either way. But I, even that going back to that Kevin Garnett deal. Well, but that's I a fair one. No, I think it's a fair one. Got with Stalin. I I think it's a fair one that you bring up both Memphis and Utah, right? A, no one would have ever suspected Gasol becomes a three-time All-Star and one of the best centers in the world. Okay. And now except, Grizzly, except for Chris Wallace, maybe. Yeah, he, he <laughs> like, will tell like, you like, like Vivek expects Hill to be current. Well, <laughs> and this one is a little. This one is a little bit different, though. That one is a little bit different because it. And we know so much more about international basketball now. Marcus All was the MVP of that league there, right? And he was playing for the best mm-hmm. team, so he was the best player on the best team. The idea that his skills or that he would be good in the NBA and that it would translate at the time, people might've rolled their eyes or lend a skeptical uh, view of, but in retrospect, there's a lot of guys that we've seen that go and kill it over there. And then it totally translates. Um, The other thing is, so, so there's one side, the Utah one. It's interesting. You bring that up. There's another team that sucked though, Kevin, until now. This is the first time they're going to be back in the playoffs in a long time. And and it took the Grizzlies a long time. I sat through them. I sat through 20-win seasons. Uh, multiple, three in a row. I mean, it sucks. It's the worst. And then it, you know, then it finally takes two. Then you sign Zach Randolph, and then you're on a seven-year, you know, playoff. And you get Tony Allen, you're on a seven-year playoff run or whatever it is. Um, Utah, it looks like they're set up for the future now. But, and, and we liked the Hall Clearly, they got what Derek favors right in the in the Darren Williams deal, um, but it is not it's not easy, and it takes a long time, and there's no guarantees. You know, you hopefully you look up one day and you've got you know uh, uh, you know a Utah team like they've got now, or you've got Marcus always a three time All Star, but generally you don't get that kind of return, man. And so I'm I'm a little more I'm a little more skeptical of just trading stars and hitting the reset button. I don't, I don't know. My, my, my response is just basically this. You're, you're 100% right about what you're saying, that there's risk and that there's no guarantees, but this is the alternative. Jimmy Butler enters free agency and he leaves and you get nothing. Paul George enters free agency and you get absolutely nothing. And that, that's the ultimate worst-case scenario. Because I don't see how any Pacers fan or Bulls fan, I don't see how anybody can feel confident that those guys would absolutely resign just because of, just because of the potential of giving them the extra thirty million dollars, the designated veteran extension under the new CBA. I don't think that that I think that that factor is a little bit overblown. I think sure in some players' cases that it's going to help keep them in place. I'm not convinced about that. If they're in a losing situation or if they're in a situation where it feels like it's going nowhere. Just look at the things like Paul George has said this season, not having fun, things like that. It's like this guy has admitted to the media 
that he wants to win. That, I get it. I get it. With, having fun. What, what, what does he feel privately? You know what I mean? I get it with Paul George, and I get what he's saying, and I get the pressure he's trying to put on the organization, et cetera. And you may have a good point there. But I will say that when, the, when push comes to shove and you lay the contract in front of these guys, who has left, man? Like even DeMarcus Cousins know, on man. Friday was saying, I'm, I'm staying. I, that guy's lost that guy, a million. He has, he, has, he has loyalty tattooed on his body. <laughs> All right. He is, but I'm saying he's, he loses every friggin' year, and he said, I'm staying. Right? All right. So yeah. I'm just Cause saying. Because he, like, he has loyalty tattooed on his body. He, okay, he is but, like loyalty to a fault, just like Kevin Garnett was. Okay, but who do we have? It wasn't until he left. Then he, then he realized, oh, my God, the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah, but all these guys, we say, oh, they're going to leave. They don't. They don't leave. Who left? Aldridge left. Greg Monroe? You know, if you Horford want to. left. Who? Horford. Al Hor- I know he's not a superstar, but recent yeah. name. Horford left. Al Horford. KD left. KD left the winning season. Look, I mean, you can look both ways. You can look at guys who, I didn't, guess leave you're guys right. who didn't leave. There, there's examples of both. It's just, I just, I just think you got to shake it up. I, what the Bulls are doing isn't working. What the Pacers are doing isn't working. And if if you can shake it up and get like a super high draft pick and a really nice young prospect and other pieces that allow you not not just getting those players back, but having new flexibility to react to new opportunities. Because that's it wasn't just Gasol with the Kings. They got they gained cap space. Which allowed them to get Zach Randolph right. for virtually well, nothing. You know, I would take my risk. Sign guys like Mike Conley. I would take my risk. I let those kept, guys. Would you, have, would you have rather they kept Paul Gasol? Which, that's that's my question now. <laughs> no, I, I, know, I know. I know it's in hindsight, but like, but um, like putting yourself back in that moment again. Even okay. the deal looks bad at the time. Was okay. there some understanding where it was like, okay, maybe, the, hopefully, this works out? Okay. All right. Let me let me just let me go ahead and make this clear. A, a hundred percent. I wanted them to trade Pau Gasol. B, they were horrible, Kevin, with Pau Gasol. They were, they were horrible. Okay, these teams, and this is the reason that you and me differ uh, differ on this. With George and with Butler, you can say it's not working. They're just not. They are the it, respectively the sixth and seventh seed right now. They're both playoff teams, and that's fine. You could say they're not good enough, and it's not going to win a championship. They're they're not shitty. I, I mean, like when you go back in time, people can go back in time. A, everybody had turned on the Grizzlies. They're winning twenty something games. Uh, there's nobody in the arena. It's like you're you're going to a funeral every night. They were. <laughs> Awful. They were not a competitive team. And same with, and if you want to say that about Sacramento, they just weren't going to be competitive. And so now is the time to pull it. I do not think that those examples are fair to put in line with Indiana and Chicago when both of those teams are right in the playoff race right now in the Eastern Conference and are the sixth and seventh seed, for God's sakes. Like, what do you want? You're you're right about that factor. You're totally right. Like the Bulls, I think they like lead the NBA in attendance. <laughs> so it's like if you're the front office and it's all about the money, then sure you're happy, you're good, right? But the thing is, is I'm saying if it's about a title, you're not going to sign scrubs like Rajon Rondo just for the sake of trying to win more games or having a big name. You're not going to sign old Dwayne Wade just to improve your team a little bit and make yourself average. That that's why, like, I am a Sam Hinkie truther, and I think I don't think that extreme approach is always necessary. But I think sometimes taking a step back allows your team to really just accumulate better assets and more flexibility um, within the team, and allow younger guys to play more too, for that matter. And getting back to that Grizzlies team, they stunk because Rudy Gay was like in his first or second year. They stunk because Hakeem Warwick was playing like 25 minutes per game. They had a bad team overall because they didn't sign those crappy players or those old players in order to make themselves average. I, I might be having a little bit of revisionist history no, here. No, no, they went you know through that. They went through I that. Do, but, no, yeah. they went through that. They went through the whole Re, you know, bring in all the old guys and make another play. They brought in Damon Stoudemire and Eddie Jones and Chucky Atkins, and they were coached by Mike Fratello. Chucky Atkins, they, that's a good yeah, name. But they were beating people 
you know, 84 to 80. By the way, Chuck Yakins, one of my favorite. <laughs> hey, one of my favorites. Do you, there, here's a series of story for you. So the Grizzlies were down 3-0 against, I want to say it was either, it might have been San Antonio. I can't recall. Um, but it was, it, or it was either, it was either San Antonio. I think it was San Antonio and they're playing them in the playoffs and they're, it's before the game and they're down three zip and Jerry West walked into the locker room and he's, he's then running the team and he gives this impassioned speech, right? About how once upon a time we were in the, you know, uh, uh, you know, we were in the playoffs and I'm paraphrasing here. Um, as it's a secondhand story from the players that were in the locker room. And they say, you know, once upon a time, we were down 3-0 in a series. And he said, and I looked over at Wilt Chamberlain and I said, no, nah, fuck this. We're not losing this, blah, blah, blah. Right? So he gives this whole speech, right, about how they came back and they ended up winning the series. Um, and this is before game four, right? And Jerry West walked out of the locker room and Chucky Atkins <laughs> turned to the rest of the players and said, any old motherfuckers see Will Chamberlain in here? <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and, and, by, and by the way, they got their ass kicked and lost in four games. <laughs> so Chucky Atkins will always be one of my favorites. Oh my god! <laughs> Shout out that to Chucky Atkins. Uh, I, I wish I wish there was somehow a video of that, like some security footage somewhere, and locked away, that we can see that moment. That yeah, sh- shout out to Chucky. But anyway, no. The the point is, they did try that, and they patched together a bunch of old guys, and ended up making the playoffs again. And then they just said, "Screw it," and then they went into rebuild mode and a bunch of young guys and Pau Gasol, but they were terrible, Kevin. Trust me, they were bad. And so all I'm saying, and that's hard to go through, man. And I know you're a Sam Hinkie truther, and there's a lot of Sam Hinkie truthers, um, and clearly he swindled a lot of people. But I do wonder. I was sitting back this and thinking the other night. He it, when the when the Okafor stuff was coming up, he nailed the Embiid pick, right? But it took it two years. If it's if if Embiid's not the guy that they take, and he is not the process, and Joel Embiid as we know him now. Everything else is what? Because I don't think they nailed I mean, everything. Look, they, they didn't. They didn't nail everything else. You know? you, you're right. They didn't. And they, and you could make the argument that they haven't even nailed Embiid yet, right? Because he's still is suffering quite a lot of injuries as a rookie after two years of missing every single game. So that pick isn't really officially nailed yet, right? But I think you could look the other way and say, well, what if? What if they took Porzingis instead of Okafor? Um, I th- I just think from a I mean no pun intended here, but from a process perspective, I think what they did was sound. I think I think you know maybe the lottery balls bounce a little bit differently and it helps them or it hurts them. Maybe they don't end up with Simmons one year. Maybe they end up with the number one pick the other year and they take Wiggins. Right? I think it could go either way. I just think from a process perspective, I love what they did and I think Stan Hinkie. Some of the picks might have been misses, but he won every single trade he made. Like, oh, like go back. Every deal Sam Hinkie made, he won. And that's why they're in the position they are now, kind of rounding back to how our conversation started here, that they have all these picks. Like, they have the Kings' right to swap this year. Even if the Kings bought them out, the Sixers can end up with the Kings' pick. So if the Kings win the lottery, the Sixers actually win the lottery, like, and they get that pick. Um and they, then they have the Kings 2019 first rounder. So it's like they have all these picks from all these deals that they won when they just stole future picks like candy from other teams. And I think Hink, the job Hinky does is incredible. And they're in a position to do something special as long as Colangelo is the guy who really finishes the job by making the right moves. Fair enough. Uh, you are going to be out at the uh, Ringer offices doing trade deadline specials. We are going to have a special trade deadline NBA show after the trade deadline with myself and Chris Ryan on Thursday. Give everybody a heads up on that. But uh, I guess uh, this is our last chance since we're uh, on, on the podcast to make a prediction. Do you think who is the biggest name to move? I mean, we've already had uh, – listen, Abaka was a pretty big name. You know, We had Kyle Korver earlier in the season. That got started early. 
Abaco is a pretty big name, clearly a starter on a, on an outstanding team um, up until this year. And then Cousins is just like, I mean, he's one of the top five scorers in the NBA, so that's a monster, monster name. Biggest name that gets moved by the next time we talk. Think it's Butler? Yeah, let's just let's go with Jimmy Butler. Um, I, I think I said, so in my opinion, that the Celtics should at least consider giving up that 2017 next pick. So screw it, Jimmy Butler. I say I say Carmelo. Okay, to who? I say I say Carmelo is the one that moves. The Celtics followed him on Instagram last night. <laughs> to the Clippers, to the Clippers, or to the Celtics, or to the Cavs, or in a mystery team. I would say. Going? I, I, I think Carmelo moves to either the Clippers or the Celtics. That's what I think. Okay, so if, if it's the Celtics, uh, we'll, we'll go back to our one of our mid-January podcasts and, and debate how, how he'll fit again. <laughs> yeah, and ever since you slandered him, he's been on fire, by the way. When you called me out for calling him outstanding. <laughs> ever, ever, since you, ever since you called me out for him being outstanding, he has been beyond outstanding. <laughs> He's averaged like, he's averaged like twenty. He's averaged like twenty-eight points a game. It's, it's funny how like that podcast, like a week after that, I'm like defending him. <laughs> it's just, it's just the, the term outstanding. I just, I just think like he's not outstanding, but he's not bad like a lot of people say he is. I mean, there's a lot of negativity out there about Carmelo. Yeah. I'm gonna, I, I think Carmelo ends up off a lot. Yeah, I think, I think he moves. I think he's the one. That, I think he's the he's the big name that moves, and it, he either ends up in Boston or L.A. They both have assets to make moves. a move. I do too. I, I hope he moves. I, I want to see him compete for a title. I mean, he's had such a great career going back to high school and college, and then you know playing in the Olympics. It, it would be great to see him really have a chance at a title. And if they don't get an inbounds play stolen. Uh, when they played against the Lakers, the team that he had, you know, with Kmart and all those guys, Billups and whatever, that Denver team had a shot at the title. They really did. They were in the West Finals and had an inbound stolen, I believe, by Trevor Ariza, if you go back in time. Or they were, you know, so, so many of these playoff series were decided by one or two plays here or there. But it's been a long time since he's been in that, you know, kind of high leverage situation and I'm with you too. He is such a great player. It'd be nice before he is before he's Mitch Richmond for the Lakers, right? To have a to have a shot. At, or Tracy McGrady for the Spurs. Like you don't want like you know, fine, you got a ring, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Rather exactly, see, he's still one of the guys. He's still outstanding. <laughs> not, not quite outstanding, but he's, he's still really good. <laughs> hey, man, go get some more to eat in New Orleans before you have to fly out, and uh, we'll watch all that stuff. I guess it's going to be Facebook Live, and it'll be uh, Periscoped and everything, the Ringer trade deadline stuff that's going on on Thursday. I look forward to watching you on it. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to doing it. Watch you, it. Watch it. Go to, go go. to Ringer Facebook. Go to Twitter. We'll, we'll be tweeting out, putting it everywhere. You can follow Kevin uh, on Twitter at Kevin O'Connor NBA. You can find me at at Chris Vernon Show, one word, Chris Vernon Show. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you right after the trade deadline on Thursday. Hey.